0: Welcome to The Truth in His Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. Thanks for listening and checking out this podcast to hear some great conversations on arts and culture. Today, I have the privilege of being in conversation with a filmmaker and curator from Baltimore. Um, Her short films are intuitive and personal investigations into urban and corporeal landscapes. Please welcome Margaret Rorison. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank
2: you. Thanks for having me.
0: So, yeah, copy and pasting, talking, and making it sound like I wrote that i i I just learned what corporeal means, as I was saying to you earlier, so bravo uh there, but um, if you would, could you uh please describe your first um experience with art and um with filmmaking
2: yeah um so i I come from a family of painters, and my grandfather and uncle um and my grandmother and my aunt. I guess, yeah, a lot of them were um, painters and illustrators. And so I grew up with a lot of, um, I feel like I, all my life I would draw. When I was a kid, I would draw. Um, and I, I think about like when I was younger and we would go on like a f- family road trip and I would always have like a journal where I would draw the whole journey and write about it. Um, and then I, I was thinking also how, I guess when I was an adolescent, I would I would have like a disposable camera. Um, I'm dating myself a little bit, I guess they're hip again, but, um, yeah, I would, uh, I would plan out like every shot and how I would document like a trip. Um, so I guess it's always been in me to sort of like process the world through writing and drawing and photographing. Um, and then with filmmaking, well, I was living in New York, uh, after I graduated from undergrad and I was a photographer at the time and I was interning with a few photographers and then someone had mentioned, um, this internship with Stanley or sorry, with um, Thomas Allen Harris, who's a documentary filmmaker um, and they needed a photo intern. So I I was helping with like archiving and scanning photographs for this documentary film about um, the history of black photographers based on a book by Deborah Willis. Um, And then through that internship, I learned of another one with uh, Stanley Nelson, who's a documentary filmmaker um, and, and also in Harlem. And then that was the moment and I was helping to work in the initial stages of uh, Freedom Riders, which is a documentary that he made in 2011 or 2009. Um, And then I think I just started to think about like the potentials of storytelling because I used to write a lot of poetry um, and photograph, but just how there was like. So much freedom to actually be like a visual storyteller with with time, and so like I think then I just started thinking more like I want to work with time, I want to work with time. Yeah.
0: Thank you thank you for sharing that with us and and storytelling is um is something that uh, I'm particularly interested in. <laughs> um so we, we there may be a question about that a little later. Um and yeah. And, and I, and I think, you know, documenting those, those early experiences and documenting like just travels and things of that nature, however you choose to document it, whether it be sketching something you saw or taking a, a picture of a landmark or something, it, it's something you remember to trip from. I, um, I remember this is going to sound ridiculous, but I, I remember, uh, me, my dad and my brother went to, um, I think it was Roswell. And there was this like alien museum thing there. And I understand performance. They just took it like a picture. So there was this kind of like you get to take a picture with a green screen and it's like a fake alien there. So I'm looking at it like I'm examining it. And they're both just looking directly at the camera. <laughs> but i always remember that trip and, and it's uh, location specific. So, yeah. So... Is there a a film in a document uh, documentary that that hit you and made you like, help you like realize that you wanted to be a a filmmaker? And I know you touched on um, Freedom Riders. I know you touched on some of the projects you worked on, but was there something like that really hit and was like, yeah, I could do this, or this is a style that I really wanna try to mimic or maybe take from and apply my own um, style to and skill to?
2: Yeah, I mean, well, one one th- thing is like growing up my mom w- really wouldn't let us watch many films. <laughs> so we had like we had like Disney Disney VHS and then um like Mrs. Doubtfire was the <laughs> and I was like so sick I was like I can't watch this film anymore. <laughs> but I guess I guess I just bring that up because like I think most of my um earlier formative years when I was younger, we just I just read a lot and I would just um sort of daydream and so I think it wasn't really until I think I had a lot of catching up to do and I guess like in oh actually now that I had another film but now I think about it it was in college and undergrad I had a friend that just showed me the craziest films and I I don't think it actually I don't think that this was the moment when I felt like I really wanted to be a filmmaker but this filmmaking just like clicked into this like incredible space where you could just create an incredible imaginary world and it was um Jan Svankmeyer who's a Czech animator his film Alice and it was the strangest thing I'd ever seen and it was like it was stop motion and like the the rabbit was filled with sawdust and then it would spill out and then he would eat it and then like Alice was a doll with like a dirty face and um the sound was incredible all the um Foley sound um but he just yeah my friend uh Taylor he just showed me such strange films that was the first one I remember that really stood out but I think um I guess later on, when I lived in New York, I had a few other friends that oh, yeah, and it's it's hard to remember like the exact films, but I think what was the planet? Oh, it had this like score by electronic French composer Savage Planet. I think that that was another one that was really strange. Um, and I think Werner Herzog, a German documentary filmmaker he. I think that clicked because I I also really love nonfiction film and documentary films, and like just thinking how you can really play with the story and kind of um, make it, yeah, like sort of how you can tell a factual story in your own way, um, playing a lot with perspective and storytelling. But then I think also um, Matt Porterfield, who used to live here, um, his film, I think Putty Hill or Hamilton, I remember seeing those and just thinking about how the cinematographer Jeremy, I forget his last name, really created such an emotion with color and light. And I also used to paint a lot. And I felt like the power of like, um, like the sensations that I felt through like the cinematography, that really excited me. Like, I really want to be a cinematographer. I I want to capture the emotion that you feel when you look at a landscape or when you're with a human being and you can feel their emotion. I think also a lot of Mexican directors. Well, I guess Carlos... Regales and Iñorito, like these two, the way that they captured the pain of being a human or like the complexity (laughs) of the human experience and like the emotion. And yeah, like I I think that I think that that's that's something that I always wanted to explore, like when I wrote poetry or when I painted just like the human condition and like filmmakers that can really create a space in their own way to like make you really feel and connect with being a human. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Thank you for for walking us through that. And that sounds like a very rich experience and kind of like dipping into like some of the the writing, some of the painting and even different influences that are other directors and filmmakers that you're like, oh, okay, yeah, this is what you do here to describe this thing. They were all experiencing living life and all of that. And I I always look at what drew me in to doing podcasting because i'm 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 an advocate for podcasts being treated as art or as a creative outlet versus just a marketing tactic or just a thing to do and
1: yeah
0: i find that like i may have gotten into it being a audiophile listening to like like talk radio like a lot and then listening to talk radio 2.0 which ultimately is podcasts and such and Really taking a, a certain approach to it, and it's hard to to break those things. And being able to reference, I like the way this person did this. Um, mm-hmm. Like I, I go back to his, one, one of the reasons I got into it was like like Kevin Smith's movie, I mean, his document, his um, his uh, his podcast, and just kind of seeing the boundaries of what can be done with it. Like, yeah, there, there was one where he was reading a Craigslist ad that eventually became the movie Tusk. Ah. that's insane you know what i mean like it was um it wasn't craigslist it was this a a similar site called gumtree i think it was european or canadian and just you're taking something that was a goofy throwaway that eventually you said i'm going to turn this into a movie it just shows me like what's the 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 starting point for some of these things or even in telling old stories where he found a um (laughs) He he found an old recorder. He was just talking about how much of a, a snotty punk he was. And he found this old recorder of him talking into the recorder when he was a teenager. He was playing it as a now at the time, I think in his 40s. And he's like, huh, I was a shitty 16-year-old. I sucked. And he's like, I thought it was the best thing in the world. And he's like, he would just play it. And he's just laughing at himself like 20 to 30 years removed from it. And I'm like, that is very interesting to me. That is, I, I enjoy that. I take humor from it and and things of that nature. And, um, and that's what I try to apply to doing this. Like, you know, you, you talk to someone, you ask them questions about their work and so on. But it feels really one-sided. Mm-hmm. And... I find, and maybe some people hate it, but I find that I try to relate with the person. I think that leads for a more rich conversation versus I'm just asking you, hey, tell me about everything that you do.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I've listened to a handful of your episodes and I love that. It feels very personal and like conversational and relaxed and like, yeah, <laughs> I think it. you do a yeah, really good job of just being in the room with the person, even though you're not actually there. And it's like <laughs> a, a very fluid, natural conversation.
0: Well, thank you. That's, that's, that's great. Um, I want to, I want to talk about this here. Um, could you share your process in the, in the most, you know, broad, broad, broad strokes there? Cause I would imagine it varies between uh, projects or what have you. And, um, and with that, what is that number one question that you think is that that kind of common thing that you want to ask because i think we all start off with a question like should i be making this i might be one or how am i going to do this what is usually that number one question that you run into early on in your process
1: yeah yeah
2: um i suppose yeah like you said like it's evolved or changes with each film um i think when i first started working with time or working with film uh, the moving image uh a lot of it had to do with the medium that I work with primarily, which is 16 millimeter. And I have a Bolex camera, which you can only shoot a hundred feet, which is on a roll. Well, it's on one roll. It's a hundred feet. And it's about three minutes long. And it's also a camera that you have to hand crank. So the shots are, um, they can only, they can only run for about 30 seconds before you have to wind the camera again. And so I started to, Make up, and I guess I think about that. This I sort of would do this with myself too when I was younger, just like sort of make up little games of logic, or like sort of I don't know. I mean, I guess we all do that as artists. Like we're we're like when we're making a film, we're creating its own logic. We're we're discovering the logic through like the rhythm, the cuts, the story, the narrative, um, how it's composed. Um, and it's like it reveals itself as you're working, and for me, often through editing. But I think in my earlier films, it was like I was playing a game, like what could I do with one roll of film, and I would make these, yeah, uh, films on one roll, and and play a lot with double exposure or single frames, and and play a lot with like rhythm, and I guess it was just sort of me trying to figure out my relationship to this camera, which I see as an instrument. Yeah. Um, and then now my films have gotten longer. Like I want to push myself a bit, and I think. I think I've, you know, I'm always been, I'm always searching. I'm always questioning what does it mean to be a human being or always, you know, I just, I, I, I'm, I thinking all the time. And I think I, I try to exercise my questions through filmmaking, um, but in sort of more of an abstract way, I'm not really a linear thinker. Um, and so I guess thinking about some of my films, I think it's like a subconscious level where there's something that just hits me and I get like a little obsessed and I'm like, I need to figure out what, what am I feeling? And it used to happen a lot when I would travel, like, you know when you're when you're traveling you think of things differently you look at life differently you question stuff and um and so i often would film yeah so i, I guess it's often like thinking about myself in relationship to a place or a person um which is sort of like not very dis- uh, articulate <laughs> but i think um the most recent films have been really personal and about like trying to come to terms with my relationship to Baltimore City and the landscape or the one that I'm working on now is, um, about my mother and just trying to figure out what I want to say about our relationship. And, um, so I guess they're often visual poems or sort of trying like trying to exercise and write through my camera as the pen, like what I'm feeling about a certain situation or a memory. I like to work a lot with like past memories.
1: Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah. I mean, being able to kind of, and, and I appreciate that being able to kind of really think through it. And I think in it, you know, being able to really process it while you're thinking and being able to kind of like step back and say, no, I think this is actually more of what it is. That That is actually a true answer. It's authentic answer versus, you know, some people know, you know, because ha- there's a degree of contrivance here. There's a degree of performance yeah. here. And um, I think you know, I rather have someone have the questions as reference, right? Mm-hmm. But also like, eh, this is this is what it is right now. And knowing that that could be something that changes. And as a um while while we're recording this, this is a day removed from I was the subject of a documentary yesterday. I was uh being interviewed for one and I, I was thinking about it, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I had to kind of, you know, one be on, but also look at it as not necessarily performing, but I'm the subject here and kind of change how I approach it. Mm. And, um, in, in in it was the two filmmakers husband and wife and i just remember the husband was answering me to questions and his, his wife was like kind of checking the gate as it were yeah. and she was like no these questions these answers are great this is riveting she was like I, I don't know what to do here you're just answering these things and i was like i'm a podcaster i'm going to have an answer to everything that you have. even if it's bs i'm going to have an answer
2: that's a great skill because i think i'm a slow thinker like I, I was like a little nervous like i don't know i want to be natural but like it takes me a while to like think of a response and I'm not as good as some of your other, <laughs> you no, know? You're, doing, you're doing fine. <laughs> like,
0: you're doing fine. Like, and, and editing is great, by the way,
2: <laughs>
1: as
0: you, as you would know, it's like, ah, I'm going to make you look better in this now. Okay.
2: So <laughs> um, oh, actually, one more thing too, that I, I forgot. That's it, a big thing is walking, like walking, just walking is often when I think of when I see something and that's the beginning of a film. I think a lot of my films have started that way, just, like, walking.
0: (laughs) That was... Like, filmmaking, like... There are... Like, I like being able to talk to anybody that's a creative about how they go about their work, how to go about their day, and so on. But there are some that I hold in a different regard. Not necessarily a higher regard, but I am very curious about it because it's so alien to me, that process. Like, I know audio. I know how to do that sort of stuff. But when it comes to... I take, a, I'm taking a few like filmmaking classes, like in high school and in undergrad, but more so theory and less, less application. Um, and I, I did do, you know, a, a film class like in high school, but that's, you know, 20 years ago at this point. And um, I remember I was pretty good at it. It's like everyone wanted me to be, to be their editor. And I was like, I don't have a future in this. I don't have the patience for it. I like, some of these song choices are bad. I'm not syncing this up. <laughs> um. So. Could you tell us about sight unseen and why, why building a culture of experimental film is so important?
2: Yeah. um, I never, I always struggle with that word experimental and I, I I never, I feel like I need to, um, I don't, I don't really think it's the best word. I think I started using it, but it's often like the word that like we'll use because it's sort of, I don't know, just, I think, so experimental film refers I suppose, to like a certain, era around the 60s i think it refers to more of like a movement of film Mm -hmm. but then it's sort of been it's just sort of been used lazily i think by like a lot of my community where we just we just sort of like inherited that term um because we've been inspired by certain generations of filmmakers that i guess to define them people that are that are challenging the form the medium thinking about the moving image as like performance, how it can exist in like a gallery, thinking about like the context of presentation, but also doing things that are not like the traditional narrative arc that is was created in Hollywood or um, people, I think often um, artists that work in the, with the moving image or people that use the moving image as perhaps more of like a philosopher that's working with the moving image or an artist that's working with a film. I, it's such a broad term, but I think for me, yeah. sight unseen. When I, into I guess it was around. I moved, so I'm from Baltimore, but I moved back in 2009, and um, to go to, to grad school at Micah, and I noticed there were. I was really getting into film, and I and I had been living in New York and saw like there was such a gap here in film programming, and I was programming a lot of. I was working. Uh, there was the Red Room Collective, and I was doing a lot of um, curation and programming as a member there in improvised music and um performance art and I really started to think more about programming film and thinking about there's a lot of filmmakers that actually like use the moving image it's it called expanded cinema but they're they're performing the film and so they might be manipulating it um, there's one artist Bruce McClure that will run the optical soundtrack of the film through guitar pedals and process it in a really like intense way that feels very heavy metal and hypnotic and almost like um it's really intense and they're like these two like 45 minute piece performances where you feel like you're maybe hallucinating or in a trance and like it's anyway that was like the beginning of like my my bridge between like film and performance and sound and thinking about like how like that i think that was the first person i was like i want to bring to baltimore (laughs) and i um I think what really was sight unseen, I just started to see a lot of contemporary um, filmmakers that were working a lot with, at the time I was really interested in 16 millimeter and just seeing how people were working a lot, um, hand processing their own film. And like film as like a formal, like challenging the form of the film itself and thinking a lot about like flicker and rhythm and, and sort of in a more abstract. like film as an experience, experiencing the film. But then I think, the more I started to curate and and, and learn about the film culture, contemporary film culture, I wanted to really think about like ways that people were using the film to tell a story in a really interesting way um, or a personal story or um, creating a documentary film that was more of like an essay film and, and a personal, yeah, like a personal essay and, Um, it wasn't like I really had the specific, like, I'm just open to anyone, but anyone that was doing something out of like honesty and passion and emotion and something unique. And I met a lot of these artists, like through traveling that I would invite or through film festivals, um, going to, yeah, film festivals or different events often in New York or Los Angeles or Berlin and seeing the network, um, of filmmakers. Yeah. So I think it was pretty open-ended, but I just really, I wanted to show and bring, more films to Baltimore. Cause I felt like there was a gap in programming at the time when I started it in
1: 2012. Yeah.
0: That, that's that's legit and you know i think having maybe that that shift there is i know with two um like i, I it's not film in a, in a sense but it is a festival that it shows that we have this like i think of the sweaty eyeballs thing for animation i think of the the parkway during the Maryland film festival that stuff that's here and you know i'm looking back at it where um sight unseen was like what 2012 right so you know about 10 years ago i don't know if those were there right there at station north and that, that sort of way. So that, that's a shift. And I, I'm, I'm all for more, you know, of, I I want like a little diversity in terms of what's coming out of here. Like you have the, we're, we're very DIY here. You'd be a Baltimore and you know this. And, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out and we'll, we'll find a way to make something happen. Whether it is, I don't, I'll, I'll get some moving images out of this. I'll get some sound out of this. And, but I want to see that stretched. I want to see different types of content, different types of stories being told. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's something that really it feels like it's calling me um, to at least be involved with folks who are able to really serve in that way, but, you know, might need folks to collaborate with, might need folks with ideas. If anything, I am an idea person. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you bring up the, um, well, I was thinking about like the beginning of, of Sight Unseen and how it was roaming. And so it, depending on the artist and I had started with two other, um, filmmakers at the time and we, yeah, we, we, depending on the artist that we would invite, then we would choose the venue. And at the time there were a lot of warehouses, a lot of more DIY venues. Like I used to do like events out of my house for a while. I mean, not with films, but it was more with music and yeah, a lot of those The last five years of State Unseen were just at the Parkway, but the the Parkway opened in 2017, so that was never really an option, but it was, yeah, working with venues that primarily worked with musicians, so they already had, like, a PA set up, and then that could help us a little, but we, at the time, there was just, yeah, there were just so many shows going on and performance spaces in the city, so it was just, it was fun to, like, choose the space depending on the piece that we were presenting.
0: So, one thing that interests me is, the the audience and i've i've had a i've had a interesting relationship with the the notion of an audience like mm-hmm. i think i've come to grips with and i think through more and more conversations and doing this podcast and all there are certain things that you just have to kind of accept and you have to just kind of move and consider I, and i think audience is part of it so like for, for you what role does an audience play in the creative process because I hear people say, oh, I don't consider the audience at all. And I was like, no, all right, cool. Yeah. And some people, like, I think about them and a little too much. And I think, you know, that we're all somewhere in the middle of that continuum. So what what are your thoughts on that?
2: No, well, that's a great question. Um, Because, yeah, if you, I mean, any piece of art, you know, like I feel like if you're creating, like you want someone to experience it or some artists just, you know, they make the work for themselves. But I think, yeah, when I first started to make work, um. I used to, yeah. I used to think oh, like you said, I was not as didn't think as much about my audience. And then I think that there's definitely like a responsibility. Or if you're thinking about the work and where it'll go after you create it, mm-hmm. you really do need to think about the audience. Like, what? And for example, like if you're creating a film and you you want to submit to film festivals, you really need to think about what festivals would um would your film be suitable for, um or a lot of filmmakers will, will go on a tour and show their work or uh, set up, you know, set up something on their own. So they're, they're kind of creating their, the decisions on where the film will show, but you have to think about your audience because, well, I feel, okay. There, I guess there are two things. One is you need to, you, through the editing or through how you talk about the film or present the film, you need to consider your audience. You need to think about how you're, how you're going to, how they're going to enter this space or this world. I think um, I used to write these really kind of vague, abstract, like two line sentences to uh, like a film synopsis that didn't really make sense at all. And I wanted to like I, was just, like, I don't So I think I really need to be more intentional, like the more I make work, thinking about like how to how to frame and, and present the film so that people know how to enter it.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and I think that when I sh- when you show work, you also really need to think about how you talk about it. And this is something that I really need to work on. Um. Be, uh, I feel like I'm a bit out of practice with COVID, but I, about talking my own about my own films. Uh, like back in in June, I had a, a screening where it was a filmmaker from Christopher Harris and myself, and we were showing work. And I was so absorbed in talking about his work as a curator that I sort of felt like out of out of practice talking about my own work, and it, and it just really kind of hit me hard. It's like, all right, you really need to like exercise that muscle again and know how to talk about your work, I think. And so I guess when thinking about the audience, it's like after you, I think one of the most special parts of of being a filmmaker is so you sit in the audience, you can watch the film with the audience and you can see how they respond and, and if they're moving or if they're, you know, like how they're, you kind of can hear certain things. And then, you know, if they're laughing, it was supposed to be funny. And then Uh, and then the Q and A, when you have the chance to like people to ask you in real time and you to respond or talk about your film and, and oftentimes people ask questions that you never even thought about. So it's exciting that like people bring their own experiences and feelings to a piece and then it, it gets your mind going and really thinking about something that you might not have ever considered with your work. So I think audience is huge. Um, it's so, it's really special to show a film and then talk about it afterwards with, um, with people.
0: Yeah. I, I had a I had an experience and it was very one of a kind. I was invited to this kind of podcast listening party, um, called Pod Cookie and it was at the revival in uh, Mount Vernon. Ooh. And yeah, it was, uh, it, it was, it was something and. I was uh, the second of that it was just starting a series, and I was the second person, but the first podcaster that it had had to be on site for it. So, you know, they had a previous episode of a podcast, and they sat there and they talked within the, you know the the group. So this time, I'm a part of the group, and it's like, yo, So what are you thinking right here when you said this? I was like, oh, oh, right. I actually have to be on for this, or observing people laughing at me just being a weirdo and saying um, the guest that I had. I was like, yeah, your words are like caramel, brother. Keep talking. And they're like, you're stupid. You're so stupid. And, um, and just, you know, kind of really, it was something to take away from. And because I think a lot of times, at least where we're at now, and I think filmmaking is not the same as as, as podcasting, what have you, but there is some desire to it's not validation, but it is some desire. Is anybody listening? Is anybody in, involved in, in getting what I'm trying to do? Depending on how personal the message is in it, or what went into it, and that's what that was for me. It's like, oh, people did find that funny, or oh, people did find this interesting or curious or what have you. So yeah, it, it's a, it's a great experience and. As a person that I do movie screenings now um, as a side project, nice. and I I do movies that were shot here and Baltimore, so the series is called Shot in Baltimore, what?
1: and I Where'd do, uh,
0: um, I I'm screening them at Motor House uh, monthly.
1: Okay, awesome.
0: And uh, and I've done uh, so it's kind of like two things I'm doing because there's a you know, limit of movies. It's not like all movies okay. because I don't like all movies, uh, but also there are some cult classics that are kind of peppered in there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you, you know, I'm a dude that's going through the oral histories. I'm trying to figure out, I like, all right, what did they do here? How mm-hmm. much did they pay for that? What, what's the inside tea about this movie? Uh-huh. And being able to share that with people, there is this yeah. curiosity there and almost serving in some ways, being a fan and being a person that's watched some of these things multiple times and doing the research on it, being a surrogate, you know, in some instances the filmmaker may not be alive. The filmmaker may not be there or you can't access them. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, that's really the only way I can really kind of com- compare that, you know?
2: Yeah. The content that you provide or yeah. Cause when you, when you have a bit of, but then there's some filmmakers that like, you know, that don't want to say anything about, you know, prior to watching their film, which I also, I like that. I usually don't want to say much, but then, but then when people, yeah, afterwards people have a lot of questions or how, how you yeah, because you think a lot about like facts or you know truths or perspective or um, like all of a sudden there's like even though it could be made off of the subconscious you have to come up, you have to come up with like the truths or the way of talking about it. <laughs> but yeah. I also appreciate how some filmmakers are like. I, you know, I always observe how people talk about their work, just as, I don't, my, as myself being a filmmaker. And I appreciate when people say, you know, I, I've never thought about that before. And just, I think it's okay to say that.
1: Yeah,
2: and it is. And sometimes I feel like, oh, I need to know how to say, you know, talk about everything, but... A lot of it is subconscious and I haven't even thought about that. (laughs) So,
0: yeah, I try to, I try to make sure that I'm as self deprecating as possible when I'm talking about anything that I'm doing. It's like, Oh, I'm just terrible. I'm mid, I I got nothing.
2: Uh, (laughs) I should try that. (laughs) No, no,
0: no. You're great. You're great. Um, So I got, I got two more real questions and this next one is real quick or what have you. Um, I guess in a sentence, right? Um, What would be one piece of advice you would give a filmmaker early in their career that they're like, I'm not sure if, you know, this is valid. I'm not sure I should be doing this, whatever. Um, Because, you know, I I think you're right. What you were saying earlier about the experimental film thing. I I think it is used weirdly. It's almost like when people talk about outsider artists and most artists are (laughs) outsiders. So What's a piece of advice you would give to someone that's kind of like on the fence, a young filmmaker that's on the fence of like I don't know if my work is valuable or if I should even do this?
2: I would say if you f- don't doubt yourself and if you feel like you need to do this, do it. <laughs> I think that when you start thinking too much about like where will I get the money or you know there's a way to make films cheaply, so like don't doubt yourself. I guess is what I would say. If you feel the drive, then follow that drive.
0: That's good. And that's, and, and I I've, I've been riding this wave recently of uh, sim- sometimes simple is sufficient. Like I, I, I was talking with someone the other day and, you know, I was just expressing a few different things. He's like, yeah, what's the lane you going for, bro? What do you, what do you, what are you aiming for? He's like, whose job you taking? Cause he's like, I see you, you're doing things. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, but I want to make sure I'm still, you know, doing stuff that I'm proud of and so yeah. on, you know? And he was like, just keep doing you, you know, just, just stay, in, just do you, just do your, do your thing. And you know, and, and it's a means of not overthinking it and, you know, letting yourself to, to really expound upon it, letting yourself be the guide of what your taste is, what your approach is, because you have to do it.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: So this is the last real question.
1: Huh?
0: I have a sign in front of my my studio I'm recording from my studio right now and the sign reads what is real and i use it as a reminder of like perception you know you you see things and you're like oh, okay i'm great or oh okay i suck or this was a good experience this was a bad experience yeah. and uh, especially with with the podcast and i have it there intentionally so can you tell us about like the role of perception and how that plays into your work which is a great segue from the previous question by the way i got to pat myself on the
2: back <laughs> for that one <laughs> Oh yeah, that was good. Well, okay, I'll try to keep this short too. Um, I think the subconscious, the, and I think like li- I, Well, I think that like when we talk about perception. I think light and sound are two driving forces for me. Um, I think when I edit, mm-hmm. I have. I feel like I, I feel like I have to get in this sort of like focused trance. <laughs> like I feel like I find when I'm finally like deeply immersed in the footage. And then something just clicks and it feels like a trance again, that I, um, that it's sort of, yeah, it's sort of subconscious. Like it's, uh, you know, I'm not working off of like a sheet of rules or it's just sort of, I enter the space and then like the, I'm experiencing it and it's telling me where to go. And I know it's based off of like a rhythm or what I'm feeling. Um, but I think sound is a huge, um, Answers a lot of questions for me when I, so the sound really helps me answer questions when I edit.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and I think when I shoot, it's all about emotion and I have to really be present. And I have to feel the space I'm in and the people I'm with or the landscape. Like I have to feel it. I can't just be kind of ro- like a robot. Like it's all, I, I really respond to light and, um, texture and form. Does that answer? <laughs>
0: no, it does. It does. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, Yeah. I think it's, yeah, it's all about feeling for me. Like, and I have to be focused and I have to be in that space and I can't be distracted. And yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's like really what gets you to the end result that you're seeking? Like, um, I mean, chiefly, I'm going for an interview that this is going to sound so pretentious. I'm going for an interview that I find interesting and that I'm, I'm learning about the person's work. And if someone is, and, and it kind of ties back into the audience thing from earlier, if someone listens to it and they take from it as well, great. Because I think, you know, we all are able to share gems about our process, our perspective, how we go about our work Mm -hmm. and, you know, what's peppered into it. And I would imagine some people who are familiar with your work and are like, I want to learn more about with Meg, uh, uh, how, how, how you approach your, your, your work and and some of the experiences that are baked into it. They would get something out of this as, as well, outside of just a good conversation about creatives and how they work. It's like, You know, that I think that's important.
1: Yeah. And
0: but recognizing that this is what I'm aiming for. I can't say, oh, this is good. This is bad. There are certain things that I work to make sure it's good. I make sure the questions are solid. I make sure that the uh, sound is good. But ultimately, if someone if it's well received or not well received, I have no bearing on that. So Mm -hmm. that's why I look at the whole what's real. Sort of approach or what have you.
2: Yeah, because if you're, I mean, that's like that dual. It's it's tricky because it's like you have to consider your audience, but you have to make the work that's honest to you. You can't you can't make work thinking of how will this audience respond. I mean, that will definitely. I've you know, I start going in that direction. Like, no, no. Like, I think that you have to think about the audience when you're. I don't. It's it's tricky, but I think the initial stage is like it's all about emotion for me. And I need to. I need to. I'm a very emotional person. And I need to. I want people to feel in my work, and I want to translate a feeling into uh, a film <laughs>
0: all right so i got some rapid fire questions for you i think that's a good place for us to go now um as we oh. as we wrap as we get ready to wrap up here um <clears throat> let's see i'm gonna add one because i thought it was like interesting. a rapid fire generator
2: question generator. <laughs> <laughs> oh no
0: i i literally write these i sit there and listen to like audiobooks i'm like hmm that's a good observation right there <laughs> <laughs> okay um i want to start off with this one because it's a baltimore related podcast right um what is the most baltimore thing that you do
2: oh <laughs> um i guess how you doing i don't know
1: <laughs>
2: is that a that's like i don't know if it's a baltimore thing i guess i like sitting on the stoop i guess it's a baltimore
1: thing so stupid yeah i don't know <laughs> like,
0: that's the thing that's the thing <laughs> um this this is your i think you're gonna like this next one
1: okay
0: what is something that only a filmmaker would say?
2: Oh God, <laughs> um, I love geez, That's a that's a really. Um, it, I feel like so many pretentious things a filmmaker would say are. <laughs> that's that's what I'm aiming for,
1: actually. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh my God! Yeah, like I love, but also like just I love how the light falls on you or something. Someone that's not that pretentious, but like I think. Have you seen
0: Kurosawa's work? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: that's great that's great actually i like the way the light falls in i actually like that (laughs) because it kind of feels a little like all right (laughs) you sure (laughs) you sure about that (laughs) (laughs) Uh
1: um
0: this is something i became very interested in recently the the notion of like side quests Mm -hmm. um sometimes creatives are just good at those side quests they're just as good at those things as they are with their primary practice so like you know for instance i think like Andre 3000 is like not only a great rapper, but it's like also it's like, yeah, I'm just going to like dabble with like this oboe. I'm going to play this for a while because why not? Or like The Rock is an actor, wrestler. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to start rapping and see how that goes. And it's just like you're just you're just you're just showing off at this point. (laughs) What is a side quest that you think you do well at if you're like, you know what? I'm going to take a little bit of break from filmmaking and curating. You know, I've got to do a side quest. What do you think your side quest would be?
2: I mean, I, I love drawing. I think I'm really good at drawing, but I'm so out of practice. And also making pies. <laughs> like, what of pies I, do you
0: make?
1: <laughs>
2: a lot, I love fruit. Like I love like apple pie, cherry pie, blueberry. I love working with fruit. Yeah, fruit pies. <laughs> like, um, and, and I make my own crust. Um, I also have been projecting a lot. Um, project- and I just gotten into um, projecting 35 millimeter film at the National Gallery of Art as a yeah. contractor. And like, I feel like I love, I love being like really, I love, I'm really techy. I like I love tech, but I also like stresses me out, but I think it's this like, sort of like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of a strange relationship, but I, I love it, but it also is stressful, but um, yeah, I like, I like projecting, I love projecting.
0: Okay. So yeah, I feel like you can have a side quest of being a pie maker. That's also projecting. Yeah. That's, that's great. Just the oven is going, the projector going. Yeah, yeah. I'll
2: serve you pie and then I'll project a film.
0: Just no cherry. Cause I'm allergic to cherry. I, I just can't do it.
2: Just,
0: <laughs> just loaded podcaster scene here. Just uh, the X's over my eyes. It would be terrible.
2: I never heard anyone allergic to cherry. I'm sorry. It's
0: not great. It's, um, so I think that I think this ties into, and I think this is apt to answer. Ask this one now: um, Are you more oriented around uh, learning by watching or learning by doing?
2: As a filmmaker, or just
0: generally speaking,
2: person, um, learning by doing. I need I need that like hand. Oh, yeah, I need to like actually do it and have that muscle memory. Yeah.
0: Same, same. I, I can't. I can't watch. It's like I need to fail at this first. <laughs>
1: totally.
0: Um. <laughs> Alright, uh, I got two left. Uh, do you speak more than one language? And if so, could you answer in your secondary language? Oh
1: my
2: God. <laughs> okay. Mi um, acento es horrible, pero... Okay, so I was fluent in Spanish and it's been so long and I I feel like... Um, yeah. Estaba estudiando español hace como 20 años y... Vivía en España por un año cuando um, cuando yo aprendí el lenguaje, um, pero no tengo mucho um, oportunidades aquí en Baltimore para practicar. Pero español a mí a mí me encanta mucho el ritmo, el sonido. Um,
0: brought in a whole new audience uh, i'm glad you didn't cheap it out and just like see I was like screw you well, There's
2: A little bit of Spanglish, but um no i mean i love spanish i just i need i need to, i get i need to practice more i love it though yeah
0: yeah so like what 20 years of it uh fluent uh, haven't been able to do it much here
2: no well i i spoke a lot in college i was like a, i wanted to be a medical translator i wanted to i was translating at University of Maryland, um, between the staff and, and the doctors and, uh, when I was in, in university, but then, yeah, when I lived in New York, I spoke it all the time. Um, I guess I said, yeah, like I learned it, year like 20 years ago, maybe then, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I haven't practiced much. I mean, I try to practice it with some good friends here, but I, I need to be better at that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I, I took several, like, I think I took, like, four years, what have you, like, each year in, in high school, and yeah. I was just like, I got nothing. <laughs> and then I picked up some bad habits, because I worked in a um, Spanish-speaking call center, uh-huh. and I would just say, while everyone was, was fluid, because that was their, you know, their, their, their original language, what have you, but also... Some of them failed in the like the tests for it because it's like dialect oriented. It's like which Spanish is this?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I
0: was picking up all types of bad habits there. I'm like, to sabe?" And it's like, "Sir, <laughs> this is slang." Uh,
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I learned I learned Castellano, which is um, from Spain, mm-hmm. but then when I yeah, like in the U.S., like working with a lot of Mexicans, so then it's very different, um, and a few Venezuelans. Yeah, so it's all yeah.
0: So this is the last one I got for you.
2: Yeah.
0: You mentioned that, you know, feelings, emotions, all of that good stuff. So yeah, wh- um, what is the feeling that you feel generally when you finish a project?
2: Oh, such a good question. Oh my gosh. Like you just, it's just intuition. You're like, it's done. Or like, you know, you're like, that's done. And that's, it's sort of like um, a grounding and yeah. like a sort of a feeling of, what's the word a conclusion mm. yeah or sort of like a death of an emotion no i don't know <laughs> just yeah just sort of like a feeling of peace and like a conclusion and it feels like okay that feels like it's been answered or something <laughs> like yeah.
0: So I, I feel like, I think the feeling for me right now, I think we've, I think we got it. I think we got the podcast. Uh, so I want to thank you for for coming onto the podcast. And uh, I want to invite and encourage you to tell the fine folks where to check you out, your work, social media, all of that good stuff. The floor is yours.
2: Well, thanks for having me. I, I really love what you do. And I think it's so beautiful how many artists you bring together. And I feel like to look at everyone that you've spoken with, it's incredible. I mean, this is gonna be an incredible archive of people in this city. So yeah, thank you thank for you. your work. Um, and I've been learning so much listening to everyone. So yeah, thanks for your work. Uh, for me, um, Margaret Roars, Margaret, and then my last name is dot com. That's my website it needs to be updated, but then I have a Vimeo also where you can see some of my films and my Instagram is M R O R I S O N. That's my handle so and sight unseen um actually ended but you i'm gonna keep the website up for it as an archive and it's um sight unseen com, i think sight unseen ba- yeah baltimore.com
1: so yeah
0: well there you well there you have it folks um i'm gonna again thank margaret worsen for coming on to the podcast and i'm rob lee saying that there are filmmakers in baltimore you just gotta look for them